hello and welcome to episode 17 of Laughing Into the Void. I'm your host, Tom, and co-hosting with me tonight, as always, is the lovely Rosalind Paris. Hi! Can... <laughs> always... <laughs> Always catches me off guard every time. Um, Anyway, uh, you can watch our uh, previous broadcasts on the District Comedy YouTube and Facebook channels or listen to them on most podcast platforms. Additionally, if you enjoy the stream, please consider making a donation of any size at district-comedy.live. Alternatively, you can like, share, and subscribe to our stuff. That also helps. But I'm really excited because here with us today, uh, we have Martin Morrow, uh, Martin's been doing stand-up for over a decade, uh, was on Last Comic Standing, Laughs, and Coming to the Stage. Uh, he's also recently appeared in commercials for Toyota, Progressive, and Lifetime's Recipe for Seduction, the KFC movie. Um, you can find him on Instagram at Martin M. Morrow, uh, and check out his special, Magic of the City, on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon Music, pretty much all the platforms have it, so you can find it, um... And, yeah, I think, uh, oh, yeah, I also want to mention uh, he's going to be performing next Friday with us uh, on March 19th for Stand Up for a Cause, our benefit for AIDS Committee of Toronto, ACT. So thank you so much for being with us today. Hey, thank you for having me. Whoa, 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 yeah, whoa. Thanks for coming on. We're excited. I I was uh, very excited when I heard about the, the, uh, the KFC. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, so, As was I. You're you're part of entertainment history, just being a part of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, I I'll, I'd agree there. I'd agree that was something I was not expecting to get the kind of uh, coverage, for lack of a better term, that it did. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, people love KFC, right? But um. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So uh, we're gonna start the way we start every show. Uh, we start and end every interview with the same question. Um, but how would you describe your sense of humor to someone who has never seen you perform? I am a kind of a multifaceted comedian. Uh, I do improv, stand-up, sketch, and I try to implement that uh, within my stand-up as well. Uh, so I, I go off the cuff a lot. That's more so because I have a short attention span. And, you know, we'll, like the, the last show I did, for example, I did a live show this past week when they had a porta potty in the front. And just because there, I remember I, I had to poop really bad. Like I'm at that <laughs> age where I don't care when or where, if I have to poop, I'm going to go. Uh, so, so I, I used the, I, I waited till the show started at least. And then I went and used the porta potty. And I remember when I came out, there was a guy standing there and I was like, okay, I don't really, I don't, he, I don't care that it's this dude who's here to see that I've pooped. And I that talked about that for like, five minutes that was my opening joke was about taking a dump there uh <laughs> and re- remembering too that like earlier i wanted to i wanted to go earlier but there was a girl in line and she was like yeah no one's no one's uh destroyed it yet and i was like okay well i guess i'm gonna have to wait <laughs> so i can get my moment in you know to destroy that toilet so yeah, yeah so you know i just just like like i said just now uh, i i just go off the cuff a lot and you know a lot of stuff is about race not really a lot about politics but uh just my kind of general feelings on things and you know what's happening in pop culture in the news i'm a big nerd as you see by uh, my action figure collection behind me mm-hmm. uh and and yeah so i just like to talk about those kinds of things you know just really dive into what's happening in my orbit awesome oh, th- 
there's already a couple things because of your answer that I kind of want to talk about because I believe you also um, do, I don't know if it's a continuing thing, um, but the nerdy mic, right? Yeah, I, I posted a nerd mic and then we, uh, we're about to do it again through Rampantly. Oh, cool. Soon. Yay. Awesome. Uh, we love Rampantly here at District Comedy. They do a lot of good shows. Um, but I'm also interested because uh, you kind of mentioned the like improv and uh, sketch stand-up writing background. Um, do you want to talk about your writing process a little bit just because uh, me and Roz both come from um, uh, improv backgrounds as well, and I know that you did some stuff with the Second City and their whole philosophy is like the improv as a writing tool sort of thing, so. This is our selfish question where we help you for information for ourselves <laughs> specifically. <No. laughs> I dig it, uh, which is which is good. Yeah, please milk me for all of the information until I <laughs> dried. Take all of my milk. Nothing, um, nothing left in the udders. Shrunken udders. Nothing. Yeah, just just little shriveled uh, <laughs> nip nips hanging down. <laughs> all yep. <laughs> Probably didn't need uh, those sounds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I did. Uh, I, I toured the Second City and was on the main stage and taught there for a little bit as well. And my, my big kind of takeaway is like, yeah, sometimes it is good. So, so much of improv is pulling characters from your real life or, you know, be it that person you see at the bus stop losing their mind or, you know, your uncle that you saw twice and was like, wow, that guy's kind of weird. Uh, you know, so pulling so much of that into your performance and then that itself, you know, might spark a memory of something and pulling that into your writing to do for your stand-up. That's, that's what I like to do. Uh, so it like in those off the cuff moments, uh, allowing that to still present itself as an, an, an option to create for something more substantial. Um, so like going back to my poop examples, I feel like <laughs> this is going to be a running theme all night. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, at, 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 like at one point, you know, I, I think people don't really talk about taking a dump a lot in public because it's, it's, it's thought of as an embarrassing thing and I, I posed the question to the audience i was like you know don't don't get weird on me how many of you guys took a dump today and most of them like everyone clapped except for like two people and i was like see you guys are the weird ones not us <laughs> like if if you if you didn't take a dump today that means like you know there's something wrong with your diet that you should work on <laughs> and it's kind of you know finding those those inverses of of the norm and that's you know a lot of that i think goes into shame and how we kind of view shame and deal with things that we're ashamed of. Uh, you know, ashamed to say, ashamed to think, ashamed to do. Uh, but most of them are, if not the norm, normal to most people. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. So would you say um, that's like a running theme in your comedy is kind of like different perspectives or analyses on shame? In a way, yeah. Um, like, I, I, I like talking about... See, I, I grew up in kind of the two, early 2000s, and I feel that my generation, late, late 90s, early 2000s, I feel like our generation is one that's sort of built on lies because we grew up with these very negative, toxic images uh, in every regard, be it, you know, like Stone Cold Steve Austin, uh, uh, you know, Bill Clinton, uh, South Park, uh, Eminem, like these things were... Kind of are the forefront of our generation and in our society and you know they all like made millions of dollars good for them 
Um, but I think it did also spawn this generation of toxicity that we're now kind of trying to course correct by pretending that we weren't involved or pretending those things didn't happen. But it's like, we, we did, we sparked all that uh, and we, we took it in and it, it's okay to at least acknowledge it. And that's how, I think that's how we grow in so many ways. Yeah, rather than just like, ignore it, didn't happen kind of thing. Um, yeah. But, but yeah, what were you gonna say? I was just gonna say it's kind of interesting how you talk about that um there's this book written by a journalist Evan Wright called Generation Kill um and he was like one of the only journalists embedded with troops in the Iraq war in 2003 we'll say 2003 yeah yeah Sorry, my history is not great. And so he talks about like being embedded with all these young guys who are raised on things like South Park. Um, there's no women around because they're like Marines and it's like the last place on earth basically where you could say no women allowed. And he talks about kind of like how that mas unchecked masculinity environment is like kind of juxtaposed with war and like it kind of seems like something similar to what you're touching on. That's kind of interesting, but it's a great book. Yeah. Check it out. <laughs> I don't know why I said thank you as if I wrote the book. I <laughs> mean, thank I you. don't it know. Was a great like, yeah. <laughs> you're a little bit of a Renaissance man. So maybe, you know, maybe. Oh my God. I'd love if like there were a book in the pipeline and a sneak peek on this episode of laughing into the void. <laughs> um... I, I'm, I'm working on it. We'll see. <laughs> Yeah, one day soon. Yeah. Coming yeah, at you. Like, kind of uh, going more into your, like, comedic perspective. Uh, I believe from my research, um, which uh, who knows how good or accurate it was, but are you originally from Birmingham, Alabama? That is true, yes. Oh, okay, cool. So uh, kind of asking, like, what was like growing up there and how that might have had an influence on your comedic style and then... Um, I, I'm guessing, but would love a confirmation if that was uh, motivation for, uh, I believe that's where your uh, special was filmed as well, or recorded. Yes, that's, that's where that was recorded. Uh, they, they go by the Magic City, so it's like, it makes sense to record Magic of the City here. Um, so yeah, that, that's where it was in front of a packed audience, uh, or Saturn in Birmingham um with family and friends and and people i don't know it was it was all, all all laughs all fun all joy all happiness all those things <laughs> it's always great when you show up to a gig and there are people that you don't know there to see you that's like oh yeah that's the dream <laughs> but um so we're do you feel like uh growing up in that environment has like affected your comedy at all or do you think it's like change your perspective a little bit because i feel like growing up in alabama uh is probably a pretty pretty, start <laughs> pretty distinct from, uh... upbringing as a kid <laughs> yeah 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 it, it was and a lot of it too is the, the type of thing of like you don't realize what's bad or racist for lack of a better term uh until later on when when you like kind of retell your stories and people are like oh wow that's kind of that's fucked up that that happened to you and you're like what are you talking about no i was nine you're like no, that's a bad thing to happen to a nine-year-old. Um, so I think there is a lot of shaping. And so like I, like one story, for example, uh, was I remember a girl, uh, I think I was a senior in high school 
and this girl telling me, uh, yeah, hey, Martin, I don't like black people, but you're okay. And like, but I, I never asked her to tell me this information. Uh, she just decided to spring it on me that that's her feelings. And I was like, all right, well, why? And then she kind of, you know, dove into how uh, she, there's, she was like, yeah, there's three black girls who every time I walk by them, uh, they walk slow and I'll ask them to move. And then they just make fun of me and, you know, da 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 da. And I was like, well, why don't you just hate those three black girls instead of the entire? Like, I don't, <laughs> I shouldn't be the exception. In this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I, I think it has shaped me comedically because, you know, in, in a way, that's a funny story. Um, and that's something that I had to deal with and, you know, getting pulled over at 16 and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, for, yeah. for no reason by like nine cops and, you know, finding the humor in in kind of sad situations. But I think, you know, yeah. therapy plus time equals comedy. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, so it, it is a lot of uncovering, not only that, but like, you know, what, what's the, what, what are the injustices we still deal with? What are the injustices that we uh, have within ourselves, our, our own little microaggressions or prejudices against prejudices? Prejudice. Prejudice. Like, pre- pre- Prejudices. 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 <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that we, you know, but those that yeah. we find uh, within ourselves. Yeah. I mean, I think too, like uh, one thing that we talk a lot about on this show, you know, we've had, we've been lucky enough to have comedians from all sorts of different backgrounds. Um, I talk a lot about like mental health issues on this show because I have pretty severe anxiety and depression. Um, We've talked with uh, Desiree Walsh, who's an amazing comedian. Uh, She uses a wheelchair to get around. So she talks a lot about that. And it kind of seems to me like pain, like emotional pain seems to be kind of the badge of the comedian. Like a lot of the best comedy, I think, comes out of emotional pain. You gotta have some trauma. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Little little dash of trauma there in the mix. But yeah, and we also talk about on this show that like one of the cool things, you know, about comedy and like, uh, you know, whether or not it's translated well to the uh, Zoom and virtual environment is, I guess, another discussion. But one thing that we love about comedy is that like it is kind of this platform where it's like it's a community builder and then it's also this area where it kind of makes it okay to at least bring up topics that might otherwise be more controversial and make them like it's an opener for like starting a discussion um which is cool uh, yeah. yeah awesome glad we talked about that <laughs> <laughs> we Good. got it out <laughs> we got Look it out at us. Um, <laughs> so is pooping at work unprofessional <laughs> <laughs> Is that the, is She's that the next question? The hard I'm questions. just wondering. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just wondering. No. We talked about we talked about the pooping situation. Mm-hmm. Like, let's say it's a it's a work bathroom situation. Is it unprofessional? Like, do you? No, that that's yeah. like asking if it's unprofessional to breathe at work or sneeze at work. Or, you know, whatever. <laughs> it, it's a thing you your body naturally does it. You're supposed. It, again, it's weird if you're the one who does not poop. So yeah, I, I, I think in an eight hour or, you know, eight to 12 hour span, <laughs> you should take at least one dump in that office mm. uh, <laughs> or there, and, and it, and it should, it's on their dime because yeah. you're, yeah, you know, you're still working, you're doing something your body naturally does, which yeah. brings me to my next point, which is uh, tampons should be free. 
Yes, they well, should. Yeah, Thank you. 100%. They absolutely should. Uh, I'll also <laughs> add on to that controversially um, for the people who may be watching but probably aren't hashtag my coworkers. Um, but I will also, uh, because of that, run and hide in the bathroom like five times a day just to get away from people because I know they won't bother me in there. Uh, Good. Yeah. Great. Glad I was able to share Glad that. Glad we cleared uh, that one yeah. up. <laughs> wow, look at, look at you making these deep confessions mm -hmm, on here. Mm -hmm. uh, yep. But yeah. Uh, okay, cool. Moving on. Uh, I also <laughs> want to know... Uh, if you want to describe a little bit your journey in the entertainment industry, um, I feel like uh, you are much more famous than the people that I'm used to interviewing on my show. So because of that, I'm very curious uh, for those who also may be watching who are like burgeoning comics trying to make it, what advice you would give them or like if there was a specific thing that like helped you break into the industry Wow, uh, you're just you're stealing you're stealing all my <laughs> my brain power. Oh, okay. oh you, you, the, you've get, you've taken the udders and now you've squished them yeah. into this bucket. It's just blood. I can also break that down. I do have a habit of like asking. I'm gonna ask one question that is actually five. Um. <laughs> no, I dig it. I'm just giving, I'm just giving you shit. Um, yeah, you, you know, uh, a, a quote that I kind of live by now is "fail brilliantly." Um, I have had so many no's, so many moments where I thought that I'm not worthy enough, not good enough, not smart enough, not talented enough, not funny enough. Uh, but like holding on to the negative and the no's and the times that you don't succeed or the times people don't like you or the times you don't like yourself, that doesn't help you progress. Uh, finding and setting goals, I think is a big one. And like, but also being able to divorce yourself from those goals. Like, I, I know myself well enough to know I don't want to be like Mr. Face of Hollywood. Uh, I, I like playing characters. So if I could be like a comedic character actor and that's it for the rest of my life, that's fine. If I get to write something amazing uh, or funny or deep or that resonates with people, then that's also really cool with me. Um, so I think it's a lot about like telling your truths and writing to your passions um, and, and letting that kind of carry you to the next thing and not being afraid to like meet people uh, who you normally wouldn't meet or sit down with or talk to and, you know, like this, like le and learning from, from yeah. them. Um, so for example, like it, there, there's no, there's no one way for anyone to, make it and it and also like making it depends on what you want you know some some people do want to be face of hollywood some people do want to be a writer on a show some people just want to tour the world doing stand up and uh i, I think for me it's all about like knowing knowing what i want to do and or knowing what you want to do and then going for it but also being okay if that thing doesn't pan out because it might lead to something else that you're not expecting um so like when I, I i moved to i first moved to chicago um in like 2011 and my i feel like my material was very superficial kind of like it, it still would get through and people laughed and liked it but i don't think i really found myself until i thought i didn't want to do stand-up anymore uh and you know and i thought that i was done with comedy and i 
left and became like a security guard, uh, worked in the graveyard shift and was the lift driver. And, and, and then it took like just going to a show and hanging out and realizing like, oh, I, I do have something to say still, and I still am funny. And that kind of opened it up to where I am now. Um, but it's also okay to take breaks. It's okay to take time for yourself uh, to reassure yourself or to doubt yourself or whatever you need. And I think that's one thing that in a lot of interviews, I don't hear enough people say that you have to kind of live. And even in living, uh, you know, we fail, we make mistakes, we do dumb stuff, we, we try, uh, we love, we hate, we, we have all these different things that we don't really let ourselves uh, expose to others uh, because we feel like that shows vulnerability. But I think vulnerability is a, a, a strong spot to uh, connecting to an audience, be that in stand-up, like with your audience in comedy or like on screen if, if you're doing an audition. Um, and I think that that, for me personally, a lot of it is like showing that I can be vulnerable and showing that I can be insecure and like most, like if I don't know if you guys saw my commercial reel, but a lot of a lot of the stuff that I've done uh, in acting uh, has been in the aspect of like a guy who isn't that sure, or a guy who is trying to grow or change or adapt in some manner. Uh, and you know how, and I, I think that being able to show and express that is what led me to that. So find find what your thing is that you don't mind your your vulnerability. You don't mind sharing with the world. Uh, and that, that's not to that's not to say like in the, the case of Clapter, where it's like, so guess who got molested? Like if, <laughs> if that's if that's the route you want to take, sure. But yeah. you have to also remember now you're stuck with that. Is that the thing you want to have to live with forever to be the 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 this is why I'm sad comic, or do you want to be the this is why I'm vulnerable comic? Yeah, that's yeah, really cool. <laughs> that's yeah. a good point. The difference between vulnerability and you know sadness i think is a really good distinction to make especially since a lot of us are operating out of that place of pain um but yeah well um, i think part of it too is like the vulnerability kind of um it's also about that's a component of being uh genuine which i think people and like audiences especially can sense um, so you definitely want to make sure that you are bringing your authentic self, uh, when doing that. But I think you're right as far as, like, when I've heard, like, comedians talk in other interviews, it's very rare that they mention, like, there's also valleys to the peaks, uh, sort of thing. So, um, I appreciate you mentioning that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there are a lot of layers to that we could unpack. I'm not sure where to start. <laughs> I just feel like somebody like somebody needs to start telling kids like you don't need to be successful I think is like the biggest thing like yeah. or like what is your definition of success you know yeah. yeah I mean I feel like a lot of kids are just raised with this idea that like you have to be the best at whatever you do and if not that's your goal should be the best so like when I graduated from college and I wasn't really doing comedy professionally or anything I was like well, I guess I kind of have to just give that up. Um, and then it was a couple years later when I started doing it again. And I realized I was like, I can do this and have a day job that I don't care about that much. It's okay. You know? And I think like just defining what you want is so important. And I think 
like learning that you can kind of redefine things apart from your expectations i think is such a huge journey and just like finding yourself like as a performer yeah and and the belief is you know practice makes perfect something my dad used to tell me all the time or you know he would he would like kind of you know that dad thing of like practice makes and they make you fill in the blank uh he would say practice makes better uh as opposed to practice makes perfect because again we you know we strive for perfection we strive to be right all the time but the way that you learn how to be right or the way you get better is by making mistakes uh by learning and by practicing so we 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 have to hone in on less the idea of perfection and more on the idea of better so fail brilliantly everybody yes all right Awesome. I love that. Uh, okay. Uh, so this is where I had like, uh, planned a little bit more. Oh yeah. Um, and if you wanted to talk a little bit about like, was there a specific thing that kind of like broke you into the professional entertainment, like echelon? Um, yeah. Um, geez, it was kind of like a weird combination of things. I think, uh, for me, it was like doing more stuff at Second City and just staying consistent, but also doing a stuff outside of it uh, that like got me kind of noticed. But like doing a lot of stand up and uh, you know meeting people who were who had been in it longer than me, and you know ask like sometimes it's okay to just ask like, hey, I've been doing it for X amount of years. Can I send you a clip and do a guest spot for you? Like that's how I got to like open for Tom Segura so many years ago. Uh, I was just like. I'm, I'm in Alabama. I performed in New York. Can I, here, here's like a quick clip. Can I open for you? I'll make the drive. You don't have to pay me anything. I mean, like if, if there's a situation where you can get paid, try to get paid. But, yeah. <laughs> you know, sometimes it's just like seeing, uh, seeing who will see you and jumping at that opportunity. Uh, and, you know, just being, again, being okay with no. I think that's another thing that we kind of don't, uh we, we we take no as such a negative i mean it kind of is but like sometimes it just it could be the circumstances and uh once you figure out like what you want to do professionally um just keep pursuing that thing and then other stuff will kind of circle around it and i think that that for me was it like just I wanted I wanted to do stuff at Second City. I didn't care about any of the other places. I wanted to do stand up and I wanted to perform at the Laugh Factory in Chicago and didn't care about any other like any of the other places that much really. And it that that kind of built the audience of people who noticed me and you know, that's how it became kind of more of a professional thing. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I think that's important to note too is like yeah, having like a real tangible goal or like a specific place that you want to work with um that you can focus all your energy towards it also kind of reminds me of a little bit when we were talking with uh mike moran just because he's talking about like talking to people um and how he has found that for his podcast at least it has been uh easier to like get famous people to come on the show because everybody's kind of like closed up because of the pandemic um so that's how we got a top tier Ramon on his show and a lower tier Ramon on his show. Oh. Oh. Uh, <laughs> he also, yeah, I think he he also got um, a long Wait, Ramon, time ago. Like the band Ramon? The Ramones? Yeah. Or a different yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, like the band. Um, 
most of the good top tier members are dead, but there's one left and he got to interview that guy. So that's pretty cool. <laughs> um, but I think he also just lucked into a Patton Oswald interview once because <laughs> Patton Oswald just happened to be in Baltimore. That's where uh, I live and where my uh, Mike lives. Uh, and he just happened to be at a coffee house in our neighborhood like tweeting and so mike would just like tweet him back and he was like you know you just gotta not be afraid to ask people and more people than you think will answer you so yeah let's be an open like i'm gonna throw it out there and if they say no that's cool um <laughs> but yeah uh cool um and then i'm glad you also mentioned uh the second city too instead of me just being the only one to bring it up uh over and over uh but like okay so like seriously fangirling it that used to be like my goal for a while was like oh my god i want to like work with the second city blah 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 and since you worked with their touring company as uh i'm not sure in what capacity uh possibly understudy but also on their main stage pretty recently uh back in 2017 for their 105th review what was it like working with them in those different capacities and how would you compare the experiences as like, did you kind of like the touring life and going from one city to the next? And like, those are also awesome shows. Cause like, uh, we see them at the, uh, when you guys come to the Kennedy center, um, but here in DC and, uh, they're awesome. Um, yeah. but also, yeah. One of the main stage shows too yeah yeah i uh I, I preferred touring because it just felt like um it, it felt more freeing and um you know you, you change material every so often you got you would have a chance to write material and that could also be ever-changing and you know do some material that's based on whatever location the the, the money wasn't as consistent as the main stage um, and I, I think that oftentimes too, like being on the main stage, people just kind of fall into this repetitive depression and like, you know, I, I, I don't think for me at the time, mentally, I was in a place where I could, uh, honor the show as well as I honor or write it as well as I, you know, wish, uh, looking back, um, and, you know, be that being a 20-something immature kid from Alabama or whatever. But uh, in, in, a, in a writing sphere and in a, you know, resume sphere, it was a very cool experience. Um, I wish I would have gotten a therapist sooner. That would have made things <laughs> a lot easier. Uh, also and... a recurring theme on this show. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. Recurring theme in comedy. <laughs> Yeah, and you know, I'm sure there were there are things I, I would have learned or done differently or better, but uh, overall, it was you know a pretty good experience. Awesome, that's really cool. Um, yeah. yeah. Also, a friend Ralph Anthony is going to be doing a podcast in about comedians, uh, therapists. So that might be something cool to check out. Um, but um, you also mentioned uh, performing in a bunch of different cities across the u.s as far as like i know you're from birmingham you spent a lot of time in chicago and then you've also performed uh internationally shanghai cape town toronto um so which is your favorite is there like a particular city that feels like your comedy home or is there mm. one that like 
you like the vibe the best? Yeah, um, I, I really loved performing in New Orleans. Um, I think that that was a spot that um, it, it, it felt like they like people were just really willing and wanting to laugh in New Orleans, no matter what time or what place. Um, I like performing. Uh, Shanghai was incredible. Uh, I, I don't know if they, their comedy scene is still around or if it's still like what it was because of all this stuff, but um, and communism, but um, <laughs> yeah, that whole thing. Um, but that was another one that like I, I learned how to talk to international audiences there, and it made like my trip to South Africa like easier because now I know how to talk to people anywhere. Uh, and I think that's one one big benefit in performing, performing internationally or performing um, uh, in like a, a major tourist hub like a Vegas or a Times Square is because so many people are different and come from so many different places. You have to learn how to tell tell stories and and like ex- explain things without having to explain them because there are a lot of things like. I, what I learned is like China's history is ever expansive. They had a lot of expats from like Britain and Australia and stuff. So I'd bring up something from America for like from like five years ago, some you know steezy pop culture reference there, and they're like, "We don't know what you're talking about." I'm like, oh, okay, uh, so it's kind of a I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I was like, oh, okay, I gotta like talk to you guys and fit, you know talk about where I'm at in this environment and talk about you know things that are universal like. Uh, kids, sex, death, uh, marriage, love, hate, breakups, uh, like that kind of stuff. Um, because everyone's going to know, like, yes, we can identify with that thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so I, uh, I, I'd say that anywhere international is dope, too. I could put that up there. Uh, New York is great. I, I'd consider Birmingham uh, slash Atlanta like my home, in a way um I'm trying to think the, the last time i performed in chicago was 2019 maybe 2018 or 19 but i was also very drunk so i don't remember too much. Oh, okay. <laughs> not sure what year it was must be a good night <laughs> yeah yeah um but you know I, i've got like friends and family who are there who like always love seeing and you know performing or talking to or just you know that's the one place i can go to and just watch people uh, uh do their thing because you know it's always you're always going to see people growing and coming up or see someone new you haven't seen before and that's yeah. another like cool aspect of uh chicago awesome it also sounds pretty cool to like have the international experience of like having to find the more universal uh approach to comedy when uh like you mentioned before the whole like i guess second city method a little bit is like being able to churn out material based on whatever is happening currently in the news. Um, yeah. It, and so our show happened right when uh, Donald Trump was elected as president. So <laughs> that was li- li- like, literally we were on stage when we uh, were finding out. So, Oh no. <laughs> yeah. Cause we, we would come, we would, we would get the news of like, you know, who won what state and we had a big board and we'd stop, we'd stop whatever sketch it was and come out and like write, you know, who won what state. And then uh, we would see, like, as the night progressed, we were basically watching in, in slow-mo uh, this man take, like, take over. They're like, oh, are getting God. a little bit more serious as the night goes on. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, well, and you guys still had to be funny and keep things moving. Yeah. yeah, that's probably the hardest show you'll ever do. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I did a show. I did a show like five minutes after my grandma died. Like I found out, oh, and then I, and they're like, "Hey, you gotta." <laughs> so I'm like crying. <laughs> they're like, "Hey, well, uh, huddle up. We gotta go do this show at this bumfuck college." So oh, oh, probably the harder okay. one. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, yeah, that 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 sounds like a challenge. Uh, yeah. Good performer challenge. Um, I also uh. I'm just curious, I don't know if you would have insight into this or if it was maybe something that, like, if you had an agent or, like, somebody else that you were working through would have to deal with, but just because I know that, like, comedy in, like, China slash Shanghai, like, uh, there's the whole issue of, like, censorship around there. So, um, like, I had one comedian friend who, like, has a restaurant in China and runs an open mic, and, like, one of the things that he has to do is, like, submit documents to the government beforehand uh, to, like, approve the material before it's done. Um, so did you find that you had to, like, either do that, or what were your feelings on the process if you had to go through it, or what that was like? Um, I, I didn't have to submit anything they just kind of the club gave me like just a sort of set of rules they're like i mean you could talk they're like you can talk about anything just don't talk about the government because you know they'll find out and they'll come they're here. watching and they're sensitive <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> basically like don't talk about the government don't talk about you know these his history events that probably wouldn't shine a good light on them and i was like well i don't really know much about that because i'm an american and we don't <laughs> care about anyone else's stuff yeah. so you probably want to worry about that cool fair enough <laughs> so just don't educate yourself about the history of the place you're going to and you'll be fine you won't offend anyone pretty much yeah <laughs> all right so uh now i do want to talk about magic of the city because I listened to it earlier today, and it's such a hilarious special. So I do have, like, questions about, like, uh, specifically uh, Gary the Dog Killer. But I also <laughs> <laughs> I also uh, want to kind of get your insight, because we had one other comedian earlier on when we started the show, uh, Winston Hodges, who's the only other person I know to have released a comedy special during this uh pandemic and i believe it came out uh may 5th 2020 uh your special uh did, yes. which like i i don't know the entertainment industry well but i know that uh that means it was probably recorded long before uh may uh but like uh, i imagine like um was there opportunity i want to get into the general stuff too but i am also curious was there opportunity when, like, everything was kind of uh, escalating and things shutting down where you had the opportunity to make the choice of, like, oh, yeah, I definitely want to release this now. Like, people need comedy right now. Or uh, if it was just kind of like, well, wheels are already in motion sort of thing. No, I, that that's something I'd actually been sitting on for a while. That's the crazy part is okay. uh, we recorded that in 2017. Uh, oh wow! <laughs> yeah, yeah, and um, uh, I I had it, but like didn't I? I was kind of under the impression of like, oh, I need to have a record label uh, release this in order for me to do anything with it. And the the issue with that was like, 
either like some record labels are like no we kind of go more specifically towards this add one guy who just took too long so i figured out how to essentially release and distribute it myself uh, i had a friend who was uh good at editing and like you know sound engineering and stuff like that and he also did the cover art shout out to uh ryan um and and yeah and so then i just i did all the press i did all the push and you know it it was cool seeing something i created like reach the top three i think like there was another album that released the same day mm -hmm. but that one was through like you know distribution and all that stuff and i think like a gym like i remember watching it past jim gaffigan's album and being like whoa this is <laughs> this is really cool <laughs> um so yeah you know it it, it it was it was more so like a thing I sat on and then you know realizing like oh we're not going anywhere for a while um I finally have time to look back and, and do this and release this uh and that was pretty much it just kind of where it came from that's awesome yeah, yeah. kind of like opportunity to like give it the attention it deserves and like everybody has the time to give it the attention it deserves uh yeah it it very funny. I highly recommend that people check it out um, if they if they have a second. Um, but yeah, um, I also want to talk about. A do -do 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 -do. But like, so talking about uh, producing the comedy album uh, feels like it was kind of a deliberate choice, obviously, to do it in uh, Birmingham, Alabama. Um, so as far as like being able to like curate an audience, what's kind of your theories on that? Is that something where like you have it like we're filming a special and like anybody can buy tickets or do you like purposely like invite people uh, to like who are like your friends and family to like come and support you? Uh, both really. Um, like I, I don't mind um, using the, the promotion like promote tweet button or promote the uh, uh, Instagram post button if I have a show coming up like put yourself out there P people are hungry for comedy people want to see something new or different especially live especially during this time so in 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 terms of like recording the album I think I did like a couple of interviews beforehand mm -hmm. and um, you know told my friends and made Facebook events and told my friends to tell friends and just really really just blowing it up like that you know uh, pursuing it's good to pursue your own audience but like you you have to, to to build you have to get people who don't know you and having them tell people you know that also don't know you and and just letting that be the growth of it yeah cool kind of get out there and network um good 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 um so were there any challenges with uh releasing the album during the time that you did do you have any apprehensions as far as like if this was going to be seen as the opportunity that it ended up being or if it was going to be taken with like a level of apprehension um there wasn't really any apprehension and like if, if i were to recommend uh, anyone who's trying to release something now is a good time if you've been sitting on something for a while do it while people are like at home and not really doing as much because things are about to open up again and they're going to stop caring so much about you know online stuff um but, the, you know, this is a cool way to reach people you wouldn't normally reach. Like, uh, I think a month, so like, uh, what is it? Uh, Spotify sends you the analytics of who, from mm -hmm. what country has been listening to you the most. 
and add like more listeners in Sweden than <laughs> I did here. And I was like, I the only time I've been on Sweden was on a layover flight. So <laughs> I don't know who cares. But this what much, impression but... you made on that layover flight, like <laughs> right? Hi, so, I'm yeah. Martin. I'm big in Sweden. Yeah. <laughs> Try the pickled herring. No, it's weird because like sometimes I feel like I look at that stuff for just for comedy, and I'm like. I feel like we're more popular in Canada than we are in the U.S., which is fine. I fucking love the Canadians who have been on our shows. But, um, yeah, uh, that's really cool stuff. Um, I uh, I also feel like I'm hesitant to ask this because we've asked it on, like, other shows before. But since we're kind of in the realm of, like, talking about, like, having this opportunity to, like, invest in more, like, digital means of networking and connecting, like, with the zoom mics and everything like a do you think it's something that's going to stick around once things start to open up again and b like what have you seen as like some of the advantages to like this forum of digital comedy versus like what we are sometimes limited to in live performance um i, I think we will see it stick around maybe a little bit longer uh, I, I think it should be a kind of regular means outside of clubs and stuff like that, because uh, in the digital scape, we can literally perform for people in other cities and other states and other countries everywhere. Any Like anyone can watch you at any time. Uh, and if people are watching a Netflix special or if people are watching, you know, a, a HBO special, why not watch people that you know or people who can really mm -hmm. uh, use that support um, and, and use that audience to get better so they can get the money for those next Netflix specials and those HBO specials. Um, so I, I think that is, is good in that regard. Uh, and I, I hope that they stay around. I hope people see this as a medium, uh, if not at least for uh, viewers and performers than for uh, practice like because you don't have to leave your house if, if if you're someone like me who's still scared of the coronavirus and has not yet qualified for a vaccine i am, yes. I am. <laughs> right yeah that's why we're here so you know get get a microphone man and you get you can practice at home you don't have to go anywhere if you don't have um you know a car or if you don't have gas or whatever this is a it's a good way to still work on stuff from the comfort of your homes. I don't have shoes on right now. I don't get to do that uh, on stage. Yeah, like I, I've worn nothing but sweatpants uh, for the past week. I, I think I'm, I missed two work meetings today. They sent me an email and I was like, my bad, I didn't know. Uh, so, <laughs> you know, like, you know, sometimes you're just laying down. You gotta deal with what you gotta deal with. And um, yeah, I, I, I think it's cool. I think it's just day. But I, I also look forward to, I, I've been doing some of the outdoor shows and stuff. So I really, I look forward to when we can uh, open back up and do that again. Yeah. Yeah. It almost feels like uh, Twitch has turned into a little bit like comedy Etsy. Like support <laughs> your local small business um, comedy vendor um, a little bit, at least with like the views and stuff. So uh that's cool that's cool that's cool um so uh this one is a little bit self-explanatory since you're already like pretty well established but we also like to ask people kind of what's up next for you and like the first part of that being like this is the chance to like 
plug whatever stuff you have coming up. But, like, the second part of that is, like, if you had, like, a long-term goal or, like, where you want to see yourself, what's your five-year comedy plan? Um, like, feel free to throw that out there. Uh, yeah. So, what's next? I think I've got some more virtual shows coming up. Um, I, I, I'm performing in Utah, St. George, in July, so look out for those dates. Uh, I, I think I might be, I think we're going to try to record some more stuff. So, uh, if you're in St. George or in the Utah area or Arizona, whatever the border is, Nevada, California, come out, you know, do, make the drive. It's fine. Um, uh, yeah. And I think I got some other stuff in Vegas coming up too. And like I said, more outdoor stuff. So just follow me on Instagram at Martin Amaro for the details on that. As far as my five-year plan goes, um, I want to have a house, uh, <laughs> which is like hard. Is that's a hard thing to say? In that's like saying I want to join a gang when <laughs> in California because it's like you know you're t- you're too old now or whatever. Um, you don't have enough money. I don't know how gangs work, um, <laughs> but yeah, that, that's something I'd like to do. And I want to I want to you know write a movie. I want to write for a show. I want to write my own show. Um, I, I want to feel comfortable and secure financially, professionally, uh, mentally, physically, and mm-hmm. emotionally. Awesome. Which I think is also, yeah, I think underestimated maybe by the general public. Like how hard that is to do in the arts. Um, but yeah, that's awesome. I also appreciate that like, yeah, it's like the millennial dream at least for me has been for a while like i just i just want to own property <laughs> like i just want to <laughs> get by and not have to worry about my landlord kicking me out <laughs> um, yeah i had an argument on twitter with this guy uh, yesterday because i uh, i said that credit scores should be abolished and he was like what what we abolish credit scores you're you guys are crazy and i was like it was invented in 1989 we don't need it it was just made so it was made to screw us so you know, yeah. if you want to like, get stuck on that, yeah. It was made to, like, give people insight into, like, how much money they make so that they know exactly how much they can screw you over. Um, <laughs> at least my understanding of it. Um, but, okay. Well, it was funny, too. I was watching your commercial reel, and I saw the progressive commercial that you were in, I think it was, where mm-hmm. it's, like, the the one where you're, you're not your parents, uh, I think was the theme of the commercial. And I was, like, doing the mental age math, and I was, like, that guy's around my age. He doesn't own a house. (laughs) (laughs) That seems suspicious. (laughs) Yeah, I was was like, man, it's like, it's so weird to think, like, it was easier to get into a commercial about buying insurance for a house than to actually own a house. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it's the millennial, the millennial life. Yeah. One one is a three a three audition uh, scope. The other is a lifelong commitment with uh, now millions of or hundreds of thousands of dollars that I don't have. Yeah, and learning about things like escrow and basement drainage. I don't know. Yeah, I haven't reached that point yet, so don't ask me questions about basement drainage. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, um, so that is like normally our last question, but. Uh, this is a special occasion and also yeah. I mentioned it earlier and it would be really fucking weird if I just like left it there and didn't follow up but uh, tell tell us about uh, Gary the dog killer <laughs> <laughs> so 
Gary is uh, one of my good friends from back home. We, you know, we grew up together. We did marching band together. And anytime I come home, I love just talking to him and, uh, you know, hearing his stories of whatever is going on in, in his life. And it, it's, it's such a different, it's such a different thing of still being in Alabama and like being kind of a degenerate, but now an adult and, <laughs> and that kind of thing. And he said there was just one night he was driving home and he was really tired. Uh, so he just didn't feel like doing the whole like veer off the road thing. And he said that there was a big black dog that was in the middle of the road. And as he, he was driving and he saw it, he, he didn't have enough time and he just was too tired. And he said it went whoop, whoop, like that. And, and I guess a terrible story. It's horrible, horrible that it happened. But the way he described it, was so funny that it's like how could you not laugh? i also just get that feeling so much like i've been that yeah. tired like i don't care yeah. anymore <laughs> okay cool so good i didn't want to leave that loose end untied so i appreciate that um you told, you told the people something from... we promised it <laughs> yeah we want to deliver on the expectations that we set otherwise i'm not doing a good job um that being said time for formal outro spotlight on me for a second okay here we go all right well that's all the time we have for today uh i want to thank you martin uh for being such a great guest and hanging out with us we truly uh didn't deserve it um but you can follow him on instagram like he said at martin m morrow um and check out his special magic of the city on itunes spotify everywhere pretty much um and don't forget you can also catch him back here next friday march 19th for our stand up for a cause show in benefit of aids committee of toronto act thank you Roz, as always for being such a fantastic guest and co oh, wow guest co-host um as I'll always uh and a big thank you to our audience for uh watching the program if you enjoyed the stream please consider making a donation or following us on social media you can find the links to that in the episode description and uh tune in next week uh we're gonna be uh interviewing comedian uh vicky Plummer, and uh i've met her uh once or twice before she's real hilarious uh, 